Oh, good morning. It is good to see you this morning. We're going to this morning continue in our study of Peter. So if you'd like to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 22. On Peter 1, 22, and we're going to read to verse 25. <clears throat> Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word breathes life to our souls. It's food for our souls. And so, Father, this morning, we pray that as we look into your word, it will feed our souls encourage us, and do us good. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, I know a number of you in the, in the room this morning like dogs. I was hearing somebody else who, about a Labrador this morning. Uh, a lot of you like dogs. And I know a lot of you like taking your dogs for a walk. I don't understand that, but, you know, for those of you who do, everyone to their own. <clears throat> but I heard of a man who, who took his dog for a walk one day. And he was, he was out walking his dog, and he came across a lake. And he saw a stick by the lake, and so he picked the stick up, and he threw the stick into the lake. And his dog went in, into the lake. And as his dog went into the lake, the dog started walking on the top of the lake. And he said, wow, this is, this is amazing. This is incredible. My dog's actually walking on the top of the water. So the next day, he says to a friend of his, he said, look, would you come with me? I want to show you something absolutely amazing, incredible. So next day, he's out with his friend, and he does the same. He throws the stick into the lake or on top of the lake. And again, the dog walks on top of the lake and retrieves the stick. And so he turns to his friend and he says, it's an amazing. What do you make of that? He said, it was obvious your dog can't swim. You see... The, the per, his friend just saw it in, in natural terms. He missed the supernatural, the miraculous effect of a dog actually walking on water. All he could think of, couldn't swim. And I think that uh, as we, we look into this portion of Scripture that Peter writes here, he, 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 he wants us to see that as we read about loving one another, he doesn't want us to see it in a natural way, like this, this man saw the experience of the dog walking on the water. He wants us to see these scriptures in a supernatural way. He doesn't want just a natural way that says, if you're a parent, you know, you've got, you've got a number of children, you say, come on, you need to love one another as brothers and sisters. Come on, you need, you need to you know, show kindness, etc. I wonder how many parents here this morning have said that at some stage to, to their children. But this is not what... Peter is talking about here when he talks about loving one another. See, he, 
as wanting us to see the supernatural, the supernatural nature of our love for one another. This is not just an ordinary love that he's talking about. He's not talking in, 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 in terms of how people are to be to one another. He's talking about a supernatural love. And the emphasis of these verses that we've read is the, <coughs> excuse me, seen in verse 22, love one another. Love one another. You see, Peter, as we've been going through this portion of Scripture, has been teaching us how to relate to the world. But he now directs us as Christ's church in how we're to relate to one another. It is not only important for our sakes that we might show the love of Christ, but our loving one another is probably the most important factor in our impact as the church of Christ to the world. See what Jesus said in John 13, verse 34, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And he makes this incredible statement, by this, by this all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Amazing statement. Doesn't, Jesus doesn't say, by, by loving me it will show the world. But by loving one another. Because sometimes it's harder, isn't it, to love one another than it is to love Jesus. But love by your love for one another. People will know you're my disciples. You see, we're called to, to, to love one another, not only for the sake of one another, but the sake of a watching world, to show who we belong to, and for the world to see the effect of Christianity upon a believer's life. Francis Schaeffer argues that such love should characterize all Christians. He points out that in John 13, verse 35, our Lord gives the world permission to judge the genuineness of our Christian faith on the basis of a sincere brotherly love. He says, the Lord gives the world permission to judge us. To judge us. Not whether we attend every meeting, every church meeting. But how we love one another. How we care for one another. And so as Francis Schaeffer says, it's almost like Jesus has given permission. Jesus has given permission. If you want to judge the church, if you want to judge the sincerity and the genuineness of Christian faith, look at how they love one another. Is there genuineness in that love? As we look into this, this love, this word love here, it comes from the Greek word agapeo, which basically means the love of choice. So often we think of love as something sort of sentimental, something that's got to be worked in. This is a love of choice. It's something we can choose to do. In fact, it's interesting if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, where there's often news at weddings about love. But those statements about love are matters of choice, matters of you know, being patient, being kind, doing things, matter of our will. It's the love of the will. It's considered to be the highest level of love possible. It's not the love of, of emotion. It's not the love of physical attraction but the love of will and of choice. It's the desire for the well-being of others. It's being kind to one another. It's not, not a case of whether you feel it. You know, whether I feel it or not is, is irrelevant. I can be kind. Sadly, I'm not always kind, but I can be kind. Put my will to it. Take pleasure in others. Show kindness to others. 
And Peter is going to show us that the call that we are to love one another is a response to the gift of salvation. That's why it's a supernatural love. The Gospel Transformation Bible says this. I love this. It says, this is the rhythm of Christian living. Having been redeemed, we are free to live a life of glad obedience. This is our true joy. Having been loved so well, our desire, delight is to love in return. We're not loved because we obey. We obey because we're loved, knowing that you were redeemed. You know, I think I've said before, when Jesus says, you know, if you love me, you keep my commands. You can read that one of two ways. You can say, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Or I think as Jesus saying, you know, if you love me, you're going to keep my commands. You know, we can't, by our obedience to God, we don't earn more love. We can't get more love from God. We're not loved because of that. We're loved because we're in Christ. We've been singing about this morning. We're loved, be- we're, we're, we're loved because of what Christ has done for us. And out of knowing that we're loved, knowing that we're a redeemed people, knowing that we're God's children, we love. We love him and we love others. So this morning we're going to briefly address four questions that arise out of this passage. And our first question is, when were we enabled to love supernaturally? Peter here says that you were purified by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. When Peter says that having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, he's not saying, you need to be careful this, he's not saying that your souls are purified when you obey all the, all the commands of God. When you fulfill all the commands of God, then your soul is purified. But it's when you chose to obey Christ, when you chose to obey the truth of the gospel, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, at that time you were set apart to God and your souls were purified. So this morning, if you've obeyed the truth of the gospel, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are set apart and your souls were purified. Now we know that there's still work to be done. We know that even though our souls are purified, there's still work to be done in life. But that's what Peter is talking about here. And that's when we were enabled. At that time, we were enabled. So do we have the ability to love supernaturally? Well, the answer is yes. We have the ability. And Peter elaborates the reason why in verse 23 when he says, when we were born again. When we were born again. At the moment of salvation, when we, you and I, were born again by the Holy Spirit, when we died to self and put our trust in a loving Savior, we were enabled supernaturally to love and fulfill what Peter is talking about here. So at the moment, the moment of new birth, we were given the capacity to love supernaturally. Uh, Romans 5, verse 5, Paul, speaking of us being justified by faith and having peace with God, says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the capacity to love, to love believers, is supernatural because it flows from a supernatural experience and a supernatural empowering. That's why we can say it's supernatural. A friend of mine used to call supernatural naturally super, but it's supernatural. It's supernatural. 
1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, this is Paul again writing to the Thessalonians, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves, you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Who has taught us to love one another? God has. And as children of God, we have his love and we have the spirit of Christ to teach us how to apply that love to one another. In fact, in 1 John 4, verse 20, John tells us that the characteristic of a believer is so much so that to not love means you're not a Christian at all. That's a staggering statement. An evidence of being born again, again, evidence of salvation, is love. Not, not, not totally, completely in every aspect. We're encouraged to grow in, in that. But that element of love that that changes the way we we view people and the way we are to each other, changes at the point of being born again. If anyone says, this is what John 4.20 says, if anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So love, this supernatural love, it's an indication of new birth. And the new birth enables us to love in a supernatural way. Second question we're going to look at is, who are we to love? We now see that we have the capacity to love supernaturally, but where does Peter say we should primarily direct that love? Well, verse 22 tells us to love one another. Earlier, Peter says it's to have a sincere brotherly love or to love our brothers sincerely. Our brothers. Here he's directing this love that we're to have to our brothers and sisters. Who's that? That's our spiritual family this morning. The church. Us. That's where he's directing it to. He's not, he's not first of all directing it that we must be out there to the world, although we do need to love the world, of course. But he's first of all, in these, these scriptures, he's directing us as his family, as his church, as his bride, to love one another. The one another that Peter is referring to, our brothers and sisters. You know, when we became Christians, we were given the ability to love, as we've just said, but also we were given a new family to exercise that love within. When you became a Christian, when I became a Christian, we became part of the family of God. Now, the family of God is huge. That's right around the world. And some, I hope somebody said, you know, I, I, I'm joined to the whole body of Christ. Well, that's a wonderful expression, but it's pretty meaningless because, you know, I can, you know, I love my brother Chan in China. <coughs> never see him. You know, never have to do anything with him or, or show kindness to him or help him out in any way. Now, God has set us within the whole Universal church, he set us into local, local expressions, sheepfolds, if you like, or sheep, sheepfolds, places where we can, we can express our love to one another in a meaningful way. John 13, verse 34, again we read, Jesus said we're to love one another so that all men will know we belong to Christ and we're part of God's family. A loving one another reflects our being part of God's family. And one of the greatest evidences that reveal our identity as being a child of God is the love expressed 
to others, and particularly the household of faith, particularly the household of faith, those who are born again. And, you know, it's, 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 it's great, it's, it's, it's wonderful, it's, it's so encouraging to see how this church, how you folks, with all the challenges that many of you have on a day-to-day basis with the, the number of children you have or whatever, all sorts of cha- dogs and other sorts of challenges you may have, <coughs> but how when somebody in the church is in need, how you rally round and care, even with all... I'm often amazed, you know, there are people who've got a number of pressures in the home, a number of challenges within the home because of numbers of children or, or ages of children or whatever, and yet when there's a need, those people are still reaching out to others in the church family. And that is wonderful to see, and I'm going to commend you and thank you for that, that real evidence of God's grace in your life. You know, a church family that demonstrates this kind of love is attractive to the world. So often we can focus on evangelistic techniques, exciting programs to attract unbelievers, and yet the most powerful demonstration to a hurting world is a caring, loving church. That's not just my opinion, that's what Jesus says. That's what he says, people will know that you're my disciples. And our challenge today, unlike the early church, who lived in a close community, they lived in, 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 next door to each other and in, in squares. And so when people became Christians and they, they exhibited this love, it was very evident to those who were not Christians. They saw the change. They saw the difference. They saw how the Christians cared for each other and loved one another. Because the challenge for us today, we don't live like that. We live, in some cases, miles apart. We don't even live in the same road. We live in a, in a country where you don't even want to be out a lot in the rain. So you're not necessarily seen a lot by people at times. Summer's better. And I think our challenge as the Church of Christ is to find ways that we can uh, work out this, this, this um, command of Jesus. That our love for one another is worked out in such a way that it can be seen in the world. Because as I said, we're living in different times. So loving one another, a love for the church, a love for Christ's bride, is who Peter is saying we are to love. We seem right from the start of this letter that we're living as exiles. This earth is not our home. Heaven is. And while we're on, in exile on earth, we should seek to gain a right understanding of the church as well as a right attitude to it. Not just to understand the, the nature of Christ's church, the nature of Christ's body, and the nature of Christ's bride. That's who we are. Part of the body of Christ. Not only do we understand that in our heads, but it affects our hearts in such a way that we have right attitudes to it. The church is Christ's body. It's his bride. And if you love Christ despite hurts and offenses, Done to us by brothers and sisters, we need to love his bride. We live together, many times in close fellowship. There are times that we offend each other. There's times that we might, might hurt each other. But you know, every brother and sister here this morning, everybody in this room, 
who was born again in the Spirit of God, Christ died for. Christ loved. And as he has loved us, so we're to love one another. We're to put those offences, I'm going to say a bit more about this in a moment, but those offences, that should not get in the way. How many times have you found in your life when, <clears throat> when and this, this is where it's good to have a wife, she's not here, she's in grace, but it's good to have a wife, you guys, you know, where I'm, I could be judgmental about another situation and June just reminds me just quietly about my attitude and how I have been in situations very similar to what I'm seeing in somebody else. This love that Peter is talking about as a supernatural love. That we're to love one another. So this brings us on to the third question. Well, how are we to love? Well, Peter here says we're to love earnestly or fervently. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 8, we'll come on to later develop more, but in this letter, Peter says, keep loving one another fervently since love covers a multitude of sins. Peter is saying here, this the kind of love, this fervency in love is earnestly, it fervently is in some of the other translations, but in, in the ESV it's, it's earnestly. In other translations it says fervently. This love should be such a, a love that is prepared to overlook sins, covers a multitude of sins. That's what it's prepared to do. A barrier to this kind of love that we're talking about is when we hold grudges. We become unforgiving. We become bitter. Have you found yourself in situations where somebody has offended you? I'm, I could never forgive them. Never forgive them. Well, I'm glad Jesus didn't say that to me. I'm glad he doesn't say that to me. See, we can forgive. We can forgive one another because we're nice people. You know, you could be in, a, in other settings where somebody would give a talk and say, you know, it's, it's good community people. We should, we, should, you know, we should forgive one another. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But as the people of God, we should apply the gospel that we've received into our lives to one another. So why do I forgive? Why should I forgive? Not because I'm a nice person. Some of you might question that. But not because of that, but because Christ has forgiven me. It's the gospel. It's the gospel being played out. We've talked about gospel culture and gospel doctrine. The gospel doctrine is forgive. We've been forgiven and we must forgive because we've been forgiven. So that plays out in a gospel culture where we forgive one another. It's an application of the gospel. And to love earnestly is to go out of our way to love our brothers and sisters, even when they've offended or sinned against us. And you know, the Bible doesn't let us off the hook here. Because whether you've been offended, or you are the person, whether you've been offended, or you've been the person who's given offence, the Bible tells you whichever way you're going to go and be reconciled with your brother and sister. We don't have an excuse. So if you've offended me, and it's affected me, and I can't, like, like Peter says, I can't get over it. Love doesn't seem to be able to cover these sins or this offense. 
then I'm to come to you. And if you're aware that you've offended me, you should come to me. The Bible doesn't give us a let out. So whether you're the offended one or you've committed the offense, we need to come together. We need to, if you're offended, go and seek forgiveness. Go and seek reconciliation. And if you've been offended, go to your brother and sister and share how you've been offended, not to lay blame, not to, to sort of point fingers, but to, to talk about it in such a way that that person then can express sorrow and ask for forgiveness so that you can be reconciled. So no barriers spring up between us. It's God's family. It shouldn't be anything. We should be able to to, to put things aside, either, either cover it, as, as Peter says, covers multitude of sins, or we go to one another and set it right so that there is peace in the house of God. Whatever has taken place, let us be quick to forgive one another. You know, when, when Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive? He said to Jesus, should I forgive? Seven times. Jesus said, no, seven times, 70 and he wasn't saying, in case anybody thinks it, 490, so the 491st, you don't have to forgive. He's just saying, you just keep forgiving, however many times. And Jesus was saying this in forgiveness in the context of the household of faith. So we're to love fervently, earnestly, not just to be passive. Effort is required. Quick to care, quick to forgive, quick to ask for forgiveness, and not holding grudges towards each other. Are you aware of people in the church who are in real need? There are many ways people can be in need in a church like this. They could be in need physically. We've been praying for, some, for healing this morning for children who have been physically affected. Financially, emotionally, spiritually, <clears throat> or people who are just lonely. People who seem to be on the fringes. People who don't seem to be right, drawn into the heart of the family. We all need to ask ourselves the question. I need to ask myself the question. What am I doing about it? There could be a tendency, can't there, to leave it to others. And I'm guilty of that. Well, somebody else could do that. The challenge for me is, what am I doing about it? There are many types of need and we need to be careful that we don't remain in our little groups and leave our brothers and sisters on the sidelines. The danger, we have home groups, we have, we have fellowship groups, we have times, we, we gather together with our friends and that's great and that's wonderful. But let's ensure that that doesn't leave out others in our fellowship. As I was thinking about this, maybe, maybe just a practical suggestion. It's not... It's not an edict, it's not a command, but just a suggestion. Maybe the next time you're doing something with your friends, your group of friends, party or whatever it is, going out somewhere, look for an opportunity to draw somebody into that, into that group who you wouldn't normally be doing that with. Somebody else that could join with you in the church. You know, one of the ways we can care for people, as we've already done this morning, one of the most significant ways is to pray. Can I say, when you say you're going to pray for someone, pray for them. Let's be faithful in praying for those in need. Let's be a people who look for opportunities to stretch and develop our love earnestly for those who are in need. 
Now, Peter, as he said earlier, Peter refers to this earnest love coming from a pure heart. So it's not just a case of carrying out external actions in a kind of legalistic way. This is what I have to do. This is what I should do as a Christian. I should do this and I should do that. It's something that starts in the heart. It's something that starts in the heart and it manifests itself in action. There's the will involved, as we talked about earlier. Thomas Schreiner says this, Since love is the goal of conversion, the injunction to love from the heart follows naturally. Peter was not commenting on whether they were actually fulfilling the purpose of their salvation. He was simply communicating the purpose for which they were converted. We need to see this. Peter wasn't necessarily coming along to, to, when he writes this letter and say, oh, you, this is what you're doing. You need. He was communicating something else that in their love for one another actually fulfilling on the major purposes of their salvation. So let's come to our fourth question. Why are we, are we to love like this? Well, we're to love like this because the verse 23 says, we have been born again. Loving like this is consistent with our new birth and new lives in Christ. See, Peter says that this new life, when you were born again, was not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. The imperishable seed and the living and abiding word that he speaks of in these verses, the good news, the gospel, brings about a love for one another. When we were born again, we were born with an imperishable seed. The imperishable seed, the living and abiding word of God. 1 John 3, everyone born of God loves his brother. Everyone born of God experiences the love of God, the love of Christ. We all experience this. And in 1 John 4, verse 7, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And in 1 John 4, verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Because we've been born again, verse 23, this is why we're to love like this. Because we've been born again, we've been given this supernatural love to love our brothers and sisters and to love them earnestly and fervently. See, Peter says, because we've been born again. He doesn't say here, because I gave my life to Jesus. He doesn't say that. See, we didn't give birth to ourselves physically. Anybody do that here? Anybody actually manage to give birth to themselves physically on their own? No, of course not. And you know, we didn't give birth to ourselves spiritually either. God did it. God did it. It's an entirely a work of God. We may have thought, we may well have thought, we made the choice. But the reality is that after hearing the word of truth, the Holy Spirit regenerated your heart and gave you the gift of faith so that we could respond in repentance. God did it. It was not of us. We were physically born of perishable seed. One day our bodies will die. We were in a state where we were objects of God's wrath, bound for eternal destruction. But, I love the buts in, in Scripture, but as Paul writes in Ephesians 2, and you were dead in trespasses and sins, and because of God's great love, 
made us alive together with Christ. We were made, you were made, I was made alive in Christ. God did. We didn't do it. It was not of our own doing. It's not of anything in us. It's not of anything that God saw. God did it. I don't know why. I, don't, I can see why he chose you. I don't know why he chose me. I don't know why, but I'm so grateful to God that he did. That I'm no longer, and you're no longer, an object of divine wrath, but an object of divine love. Peter says, loving one another is consistent with your new birth. And unlike your physical birth, which was born with perishable seed, your new birth was affected by an imperishable seed. And Paul in this, uh, Peter in this, this uh, portion of scripture to amplifies this point. I'm not going to go into detail on this by quoting Isaiah 40. Everything of flesh is like grass and grass dies. Everything of flesh is like a flower and a flower falls off. He's reminding us, along with Isaiah, that the things of this world are perishable. But God's word abides forever. And in verse 25, he closes this out this passage by saying, and this is the word preached to you. This is the word preached to you. This is the imperishable seed that we have been born again with. The good news that was preached to us is the very gospel itself. It is Christ himself. The gospel is bound up in Jesus. It is Christ himself and it remains forever. The gospel that you and I have received purifies our souls, born again by the Spirit of God, is imperishable. It has no expiry date. It is eternal. So when did we receive the ability to love? At salvation. Who are we to love? One another, the church. How are we to love? <clears throat> Earnestly, fervently from, from the heart. Why are we to love? Because it's consistent with our new life. It is the gospel about Christ that has, God has used to bring about new life. It's the gospel about Jesus as he brought, he's used to bring about new life. And it's on the basis of that new life, we're to love one another earnestly, sincerely, from purified hearts. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning that you have purified our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that we've been born again through that imperishable seed. Father, thank you that you deposit within us your Holy Spirit that enables us and empowers us to love one another. Lord, this is a supernatural love. This is not just a love that we can try and whip up, but Lord, it's a something that you deposit, the love of Christ that becomes shed abroad in our hearts. The love for which we've been loved, we reflect to those around us. And Father, let us, as the Church of Christ, let us exemplify this love. Let us do all that we can do to maintain this love for one another so that it would be a testimony to the world would reveal to the world the love that you put in us, our walk with you, our dependency upon you, 
alive in you. So Father, increase this love. Increase the measure of your spirit within us so that we are able to love in a way that will glorify your name. And through, Lord, what takes place amongst us, that love will just overflow into a hurting, needing world where we can, as your people, reveal a love that's genuine and pure. In Jesus' name, amen.